Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you that these online resources are never meant to be a substitute for God's good plan for you to be present, connected, and serving in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you live in the West Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we encourage you to come check out one of our Sunday services. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's word, we pray that His Spirit would use this sermon powerfully in your life. 19th century American poet John Godfrey Sachs is most remembered for his poem entitled The Blind Men and the Elephant. The poem was based on his version of an ancient Indian fable about six blind men who were examining an elephant. By touching only one part of the elephant, each blind man arrived at a conclusion about what the elephant was like. One of the blind men felt the huge elephant side, and that blind man concluded that the elephant was like a wall. Another blind man touched the elephant's tusk, and he concluded that the elephant was like a spear. Holding on to the elephant's trunk, one blind man concluded that the elephant was like a snake. Touching one of the elephant's legs, still another blind man concluded that the elephant was like a tree. Grasping one of his ears, another blind man concluded that the elephant was like a fan. And grabbing the elephant's tail, one of the blind men concluded that the elephant was like a rope. The poem concluded this way. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right, and all were in the wrong. Well, we're living in days today of many different opinions and many different beliefs and many different convictions, aren't we? And never before in the history of the world has it been easier for you and I to dispense ideas and convictions and beliefs to the masses and to rally the masses to garner a following or to join a movement. And yet with all this opportunity to articulate opinions and convictions and beliefs, and with all this access to all these different ideas, a confusion, not clarity, is ensuing. A chaos, not calmness, is growing. Why? Well, because like the blind men in the poem, Everyone in the world is trying to understand the world, but each one is looking through a different grid. Each one has a different set of glasses on through which they see the world. Each one has a different worldview with which they see. What 
exactly is happening and what exactly to believe. What is a worldview? Well, on the screen for you, Francis Schaeffer, who described worldview, said it was like this. He said, it was the grid through which one sees the world. And you have a grid through which you see the world. And I have a grid, and your friends have a grid, and people at your workplace have a grid, and people in politics have a grid through which they see the world. The confusion around us is because we're all looking through a different grid. Today, some are trying to understand the world through the grid of naturalism. Trying to find out what's true through objective science and facts alone, but denying the supernatural reality and the source of all truth, God himself. This naturalistic worldview, it rejects Christianity as naive. Others are trying to understand the world through the grid of moral relativism, rejecting the reality of absolute truth altogether and relegating the pursuit of truth to each individual's subjective feelings. Whatever you feel is true, that's true for you. Whatever I feel is true, that's true for me. And moral relativism rejects Christianity as rigid and closed-minded. Still others are trying to understand the world through the grid of expressive individualism. This is the deifying of the self, the elevating of feelings as preeminent and the repudiating of the idea that there is one to whom we are all accountable. Expressive individualism rejects Christianity as repressive. But probably the most dangerous and seductive grid through which many are trying to understand the world today is the grid of critical theory or the worldview of critical theory. This is the Marxist ideology that has hijacked and redefined words like justice and oppression and truth, a very dangerous way of viewing the world. Dividing up society into two categories of people, those who are the oppressed, those who are the oppressors, pitting people against one another, seeking the destruction of God-given authority structures, all the while offering no hope and no alternative. And the worldview of critical theory is demolishing society as people embrace it. There's all these different grids, all these different worldviews, and all this confusion, and far too many Christians, loved ones, can't identify this, can't see this, are confused, and simply don't know what to think. What do I think when my employer asks me to identify people with their specified pronouns? What do I think about that? What do I do? What do I think when my friend tells me they no longer believe in the institution of marriage? What do I think about that? What should I do? What do I think when I drive by a pro-abortion rally? 
What do I think when a well-known pastor begins to repent publicly simply because his skin color is white? What do I think about that? What do I do? What do I think when my neighbor wants to debate me on issues of euthanasia or politics or whatever the next hot topic is? Loved ones, I want to suggest to you and commend to you and exhort you in this that we need a thoroughly biblical grid with which to see the world. We need to recover the clarity and the power and the blessing of a thoroughly Christian worldview, a Christian, a biblical way of seeing the world, biblical lenses with which we look at what's happening around us. We need to recover this, and to do this, loved ones, today we're gonna begin a brand new series in the book of Genesis. Because if we're going to understand what's happening in our world today, we have to go back to the beginning. And if we're going to understand where this world is going and where this world needs to go, we need to go back to the beginning. The tagline of our series is how the first things impact all things. And you're going to find with me that the first things we read about in Genesis, understanding them, embracing them will impact all things in your life. It was Ken Ham who said, every single cultural issue and otherwise finds its truthful answer in Genesis 1 to 11. If you're wondering about the origins of the universe, Genesis 1 to 11. If you're wondering about where you came from, Genesis 1 to 11. If you're wondering about what God's purpose for your life is, Genesis 1 to 11. If you're wondering about why you're here, if you're wondering about what's really wrong with the world, if you're wondering about marriage and gender and sexuality and race, Genesis 1 to 11. If you're wondering about the gospel of Jesus Christ, Genesis 1 to 11. Loved ones. Today we begin what I'm praying is going to be an amazing journey in the Word of God. And God's Word is going to form us. That's what we need. We need formation. God's Word is going to form us. God's Word is going to encourage us. That's what we need. We need encouragement. God's Word is going to challenge us. That's what many of us need to be challenged in the way we think and see the world. God's word is going to equip us. That's what we need. We need equipping. And all of this so that we as families, as individuals, and as a church family can function according to God's will and according to God's plan in a hostile world that is ever-changing, where Christians cannot afford to be confused because Jesus said, we are the light of the world. We are not the confused of the world. We are the light of the world. So, before we jump into our text, a bit about Genesis. Genesis gets its name from the very first verse that we're going to unpack today. Genesis means beginning or first things. 
Genesis is one of the five books of Moses, also called the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The book of Genesis was written by Moses under, of course, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And you need to know that Genesis is theological history. Genesis is not an exhaustive history, but it is a very specific and theological history detailing real historical events for the purposes of teaching theological realities about God to God's people at a context and in a context of competing worldviews. And so Genesis was written to a specific group of people. Did you know that? Genesis has a context. Genesis has a specific audience with clear purposes, and that will help you to understand what Moses is trying to say in Genesis. Moses wrote Genesis to the freed Hebrews who were previously enslaved in Egypt and who were being led to the promised land by Moses himself in the wilderness. Now, why does this matter? Well, it matters because much of the questions that arise in our modern cultural context about Genesis are questions that Moses is not trying to answer. Moses is not interested in answering and refuting the Big Bang Theory. He's not writing about that. Moses has no interest in refuting the theory of evolution. What Moses is interested in is providing clarity and confidence to God's people about who their God really is in the midst of their competing worldviews that surround them. And by the way, understanding that will help you to understand how you can live in the midst of our cultural competing worldviews. And so just as Moses was seeking to align the worldview of God's people in a context of competing worldviews, so we, jumping into Genesis 1, are seeking to align our worldview, our grid, the lenses with which we see the world, so that we can understand the context around us. So that we don't have to be confused when competing worldviews are presented to us. But we can see it, we can identify it, and we can speak truth to it. So, if you're ready to jump into the book of Genesis, then I need you all to get your Bibles out. And go with me all the way to the front of your Bible, to Genesis chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible... One of the ushers would love to put a copy of God's word into your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible will be our gift to you. We'd love you to take it home and read it and have your life changed by it. We're going to be going through the book of Genesis verse by verse. So I need you to have a Bible in your hand. Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to start with two verses. Jason, how long is it going to take you to go through Genesis? We have a plan. Don't worry. We're not going to be here for 10 years. But for today, two verses. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. All right, going after a thoroughly biblical worldview. This is where we're going to start. Three points for us today from these two verses. A truly biblical worldview begins with this. You can write this down if you're taking notes. A biblical worldview begins with this. God, unlimited and before all things. A biblical worldview begins with this. God, unlimited and before all things. Notice verse one. Moses says, in the beginning, God. Now we're going to stop right there for a moment, and I want to begin by drawing your attention to the fact that these very first words function as a summary statement of the entire creation event that is about to follow. When Moses says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, he's summarizing the entire creation narrative and then going on to elaborate in detail, beginning in verse 3. We're going to get there. Notice verse 1 again. Moses writes, in the beginning, watch this now, God. In the beginning, God. Now, you need to know Moses is doing something very intentional here when he introduces the entire Bible with these words, in the beginning, God. On the screen for you is Derek Kidner who wrote, it is no accident that God is the subject of the first sentence of the Bible. For this word dominates the whole chapter and catches the eye at every point of the page. God, the name God that Moses uses here is repeated 35 times in the story and is translated Elohim. That's the name that Moses chooses to use for God. Elohim in the Hebrew, the name Elohim denotes majesty. And listen, the name Elohim represents, listen, God's transcendent relationship to his creation. Now, this is very important for us to see because much of the discussion surrounding the book of Genesis today centers on the creation. There's a lot of debate about the creation. There's a lot of debate about the age of the earth itself. There's a lot of debate even amongst Christians. Yet, right at the outset, Moses purposes to center us on the one who simply existed before anything else existed. Why? Because the book is not primarily about the creation. The book is about the creator. In the beginning, Elohim, the one who transcends all that he created. And you can't get past this too far because the entire Bible is about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what God is doing. Primarily, it is about God and everything he is doing has to point back 
to him has to draw our attentions, has to stir up our affections towards him. He is the center of everything. Elohim. Elohim. That's how Moses begins the entire Bible. It's no wonder then that all throughout history, the goal of the enemy has been to either remove God completely from the discussion, attempting to disprove his existence. That's the atheistic worldview. There's no God. Only foolish, naive people believe in a God. That is a worldview that exists. You know people, and maybe you come from that background, who've embraced an atheistic worldview. Or the enemy's strategy has been to not to remove him, but to replace the one true God with a variety of different false gods. That's the pantheistic worldview. That's the worldview that Moses is speaking into. The people of Israel were surrounded by pagan nations that worshiped many gods. But here's the truth of the matter. Today, ever, neither the stubborn, obstinate, Prosperous nations, prosperous nations of the world, nor the blind, idolatrous, oppressed nations of the world can have any bearing on the nature of who God is. Moses opens the Bible with a clear and decisive statement. The one true God of Israel was here from the beginning. And that means, in more clear doctrinal terms, at least three things that I want you to know. Three doctrinal truths coming your way right now. Number one is this. In the beginning, God means, it means that God is eternal. It means that God is eternal. You have to know this. This is the unfathomable doctrine that God has always existed from eternity past until forever. He has no beginning and he has no end. God simply is. Watch on the screen Psalm 90 verse 2. The psalmist says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In the beginning, God means that God is eternal. This is foundational for your worldview. This is foundational as you seek to understand the world and what's going on in the world and what to put your confidence in in the world. God is eternal. Secondly, this, in the beginning, God means that God is self-existent. God is self-existent. This means that God exists completely, independently of other beings or causes. On the screen, Acts 17, 24 to 25, Paul says this, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. Watch this. As though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is eternal. God is self Existent. Thirdly, in the beginning, God means that God is transcendent. He is transcendent. This is what the name Elohim in Genesis 1-1 denotes. 
His relationship to his creation is one of transcendence and complete authority. Nothing can ever change that. This is the nature of who he is. And Moses is very intentional to make sure that the people of Israel receiving this understand this in light of all the many messages they're getting from the pagan idolatrous nations around them about what their gods are like. Moses wants to be very clear about the one true and living God. He is eternal, he is self-existent, and he is transcendent. So loved ones, you know what the problem with the world is? We're gonna get to it in Genesis. You're gonna see it very clearly. We're gonna take some time unpacking the problem with the world. The problem with the world essentially is that we have traded allegiance to the eternal, self-existent, transcendent, unlimited, and before all things God, and we have pledged our allegiance to whatever seems best to us on any given day. And the answer, the solution, the problem with that is, in fact, the result, excuse me, of that is destruction. That's what happens. And when Moses opens the canon of Scripture with the words, in the beginning, God, he's laying down the foundational and central reality of the universe. Everything revolves around him, and the only consistent worldview is the one that begins with and is centered upon Elohim, the eternal, self-existent, and transcendent God of the universe. Don't be afraid to say that you're a Christian. You worship the eternal, self-existent, transcendent God. Don't be ashamed to tell people who you belong to. You belong to the eternal and self-existent and transcendent God. He is unlimited and before all things. A truly biblical worldview begins with this, God, unlimited and before all things. Secondly, this. A truly biblical worldview begins with this now, God, unrivaled, and creator of all things. God, unrivaled, and creator of all things. Notice verse one again. Moses says, in the beginning, God, watch this now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the heavens and the earth here represent the entire cosmos. This is God. He is the creator of everything. In theology, this is called a mirism. When Moses says that God created the heavens and the earth, it's a statement of totality, up, down, and everything in between. God made it all. Everything you can lay your eyes on, everything you see and everything you don't see, Every single thing was created by God. On the screen for you, Bruce Watke wrote this. He wrote, his creation reveals his immeasurable power and might. His bewildering imagination and wisdom. His immortality and transcendence. Ultimately leaving finite mortals in mystery. Our God is unfathomable. Now this again is very intentional and very fascinating 
as we consider the context that Moses is writing in. I want you to consider that the dominant and competing worldview of the ancient Near East was pantheism. Again, the belief in many gods. I want you to consider also that the pagan nations surrounding Israel all had their own creation myths. Did you know that? They all had their ideas, their myths about how everything came into existence. Ancient Egypt, for example, believed that the creator God actually emerged from the waters and created himself and then went on to create the other gods and goddesses. And don't forget that the Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. You think that worldview is rubbing off on them a little bit? 100%. That's why Moses is being very specific here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, everything that existed. Mesopotamia, for example, believed that their creator rose to prominence through a great cosmic struggle between the gods. And through an evil plot and much killing, finally, the victorious God was crowned and worshipped. There are so many of these creation myths. I'm not going to take time to outline them. But you need to understand, in light of this, Moses writing to a people who were enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years is set on combating the prevailing worldviews of the time by beginning his account of creation by introducing God as the eternal, self-existent, and transcendent God who alone created the entire cosmos. Moses is saying, no, all that exists did not come from the created gods of Egypt who emerged out of the waters. No, 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 no. There was no cosmic struggle among the gods. No. When Moses writes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, he's saying that the God of Israel stands alone. He's saying that the God of Israel has no equal. He's saying that the God of Israel has no rival. There's no cosmic struggle with God. God just is in all his power and glory, in his unlimited transcendence. He stands alone. This is your God, Israel. This is your God, Christians. And it's amazing, loved ones, as we consider all the different worldviews, whether it be of the ancient Near East or the thousands of worldviews that make their way through our social media feed today. Regardless of the worldview, whether it's atheism or naturalism or expressive individualism or critical theory or pantheism, in each of these worldviews, created human beings are found either creating gods in their own image or trying to suppress and eliminate the reality of the one true living God. That is what is happening in every worldview. I mean, Egypt, couldn't you be more creative? God created himself? That doesn't even make sense. All we can do as human beings is create gods in our own image. Well, that's what I would do. That seems best to me. We create gods in our own image. No, but that's not God. He is unrivaled. He's not like us. 
He is above. He is before. He created all things. He doesn't face challenges that he cannot overcome. He doesn't meet enemies that he has not already defeated. It was so from the very beginning. And this is fuel for your faith today. Because some of us are burdened and heavy laden under some strange worldview. And you think God is not able and you think God is too weak and you think God doesn't love you and you think God can't see you. It's time to align our worldview with the reality of who God is. And if you are weary today and tired today and anxious today and confused today and you're distraught today because of all that's happening in the world, fear not. Fear not. Our God the one who is with us and the one who lives in us is unlimited and before all things. And he is unrivaled creator of all things. A truly biblical worldview begins with God, unlimited and before all things, unrivaled and creator of all things. Finally, this, a truly biblical worldview begins with this now, God unhindered and over all things. God unhindered and over all things. Notice verse two now. Moses says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, right away, I want you to see that we're given by Moses a picture of planet Earth in a negative state before creation. Not negative in terms of evil, but negative because it is uninhabitable. We're given a picture of its uninhabitable state before creation. Moses tells us that planet Earth was formless and empty, signifying something uncreated and disordered. He goes on in verse 2, notice it. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Whereas in other creation myths, gods and monsters are seen struggling for mastery, Moses is making it very clear again to his original audience that the God of Israel does not struggle. He's not hindered by the uninhabitable state of the earth. He's not hindered by the disorder that's there. He is over it. He hovers and he moves over all that is disordered, remaining unhindered in his purpose to bring perfect order and life and light to the earth according to his will. Now, this is absolutely life-changing, loved ones. Because what we're reading about here in Genesis 1 is not simply a lesson in theological history. 
we're not simply reading about how God ordered and created and shone light over the dark surface of the deep. We're reading about something very transformational and very life-changing if you could see it. Not only because of who God Elohim is, because of what, but because of what he purposes to do through his creation thousands of years after Genesis. It's amazing to me that John chapter 1 begins almost exactly as Genesis chapter 1 begins. And this is not an accident. I want you to notice it in John chapter 1. John, knowing the Genesis account, writes, in the beginning. Remember Genesis 1.1? In the beginning. John begins his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word is Jesus Christ, the Logos, the Word of God spoken. It's Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. In Genesis chapter 1, we have God, Elohim, eternally existing from eternity past. In John chapter 1, we have Jesus Christ, the Word, eternally existing from eternity past. In Genesis chapter 1, we have God as the creator of the heavens and the earth. In John chapter 1, we have Jesus Christ as the creator of all that was made. In Genesis chapter 1, we have God bringing order and life to an uninhabited and formless earth. In John chapter 1, we have Jesus Christ bringing order and life to an inhabited and fallen earth. In Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. In John chapter 1, Jesus Christ is the light. And the darkness cannot overwhelm him. When we read Genesis, we're not just reading theological history. Oh, yes, we are. But we're not just reading God's message to the people of Israel. Oh, yes, we are. But we are seeing the grand and brilliant and beautiful purposes of God for you and for me and for this world that we live in such that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to you and he comes to me and he performs a recreation 
of his own in our hearts. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. In John chapter 1, Jesus Christ comes as the light of the earth to recreate all who would turn to him in faith and repentance. And then fast forward to Revelation and you see another recreation of a new heavens and a new earth when all of the purposes of God are consummated and all of the redeemed are gathered to the king in his kingdom. If you want to understand the world today, if you want to understand what's happening in your life today, if you want freedom from sin today, if you want to be freed from the shackles and the strongholds of sin today, we look to Genesis and we see God Elohim over it all, before it all, creating it all, worthy to be worshipped. And then we see John chapter 1, Jesus Christ condescending to us, this God, eternal, self-existent, transcendent, incarnated to recreate you. And he dies on the cross. And he's raised from the grave. And he gives the great commission. And he ascends to heaven. And you better believe he's coming back. And when he comes back, he will gather all in the new heavens and the new earth. We have a lot to cover in Genesis. We're going to see the Bible as one story. But for today, we get a glimpse of the majesty and transcendence of our God. Today, we get a glimpse of his love for you. And maybe today you've been guilty of brushing him off. You've been putting him aside. You've put the Bible on the shelf without realizing we're going to see that God ordered all things with his word. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and the word, Jesus Christ, comes to bring order to our lives, and the word of God is what brings order to our lives. And maybe you're here and you're found, and your life is disordered. Today you can come back to the one who condescended to us for us and have your life ordered again by the word of God. Let's pray together. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.